0: Alternative facts and spinning the truth both appear to be the norm in both political and non-political discourse. Norms emerge because they are not only useful, but they provide a significant enough of a benefit or advantage that humans find them worth adopting as their everyday strategy. This would appear to be put a small premium on telling the truth and truth itself. So we ask, why does truth matter? This is Lawrence Talks podcast and joining me again today are Mike Ottison, a PhD candidate in philosophy, and Dr. Luke Murray of the St. Lawrence Catholic Catholic Center. Welcome, gentlemen, and thank you for joining me here today. Thank
1: you. It's great to be here. Good to be here.
0: So, our discussion today is going to, in part, be based on our reading of uh, Harry Frankfurt's On Truth. Uh, And for those who might be fans or know of Harry Frankfurt, uh, he also wrote uh, the small text on uh, bullshit um, or BS, and and a follow up to that, which, which was uh, seemingly understandable, as a ta- was a text on on truth, and so he did, I think uh, to sort of get our readers into what uh, Frankfurt talks about in there, he he begins with this discussion about why uh, or a great deal of the text is based on what's so useful about the truth. Why does it matter for our everyday lives? Um, and then he gets into the sort of moral aspects of, of telling the truth. Um, so let's let's begin there. Why why does telling the truth matter? And why so in in general? Why does why does truth itself matter?
2: Right. Um, well, Frankfurter uh, places a great emphasis on the utility of truth, um, and what or how or I guess how the truth helps us. Accomplish what we want to accomplish, um, which is an interesting strategy on his part, and uh, I don't know one one that I thought was uh, perhaps contestable. Um, so, so the way I think that I the way I think about truth uh, and why it's important is whatever like substantive account you want to give, either of what truth is, or itself as as a formal concept and also furthermore what is true i guess that's the substantive content of truth itself whatever that is you have to care about it because one way or another all of your beliefs by definition have to be true or else you can't possibly believe them uh there's no there's no it's not possible to believe something that you also think is false and so truth is such a foundational concept that it underlies basically anything else that we want to talk about. Um, There's no getting around it. And I think that attempts to deny this or to deny the value of truth are are, um, self-refuting because in in order to assert that there is no such thing as truth or truth doesn't matter, either one of those sentences has to be true in order for us to believe it. Uh, and that's, that's ultimately the account I would give of, of why truth is important. It's, it's, it's uh, as almost as foundational a concept as, as you could um, deal with. And the only question is then how do we figure out what is true? And again, if you don't think truth matters, why should we believe that? Why should we believe that statement is true? And you're just pushing the question a step back further.
1: Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed the book. I thought it was, I guess I didn't know what to expect. Um, but coming from a, a Christian perspective, a Catholic perspective, uh, where we really do value the truth, um, I found it uh, in some ways refreshing to, to hear a scholar um, like Frankfurt talk about truth. And it, as Michael mentioned, it's because it's useful. Um, but my my question was, well, why is it useful? Um is it because it has something to do with, you know, our nature? And indeed, he does state, I believe explicitly, that mm-hmm. we have a human nature. This is, of course, a contested point. People don't want to be boxed in. They don't want to be described. They don't want to be told, you know, what we are. And this is, of course, the, the traditional Catholic and Christian way of viewing morality, especially, or, or even study of truth is that we're, we're fulfilling our nature, we're actualizing our nature. So there was such a high premium on reason and using reason because that was what distinguished us from the animals, from the other non-rational creatures. And so by using uh, our reason in the search for truth, following Aristotle, we were actualizing our, our full nature. We were actualizing our potential as a, not just a, another animal walking along on two legs, but no, as a rational animal. Um, and so I, I, I thought that was really an important point to make, but one which he, I think, in a small book like this, he's intentionally, and indeed he, he mentions that at the beginning, he doesn't want to get into a real um, developed or controversial account of what truth itself is. Um, but that's actually a really important question i think that we need to be at least maybe mention but
0: yeah i mean it, it's it almost doesn't make uh sense to ask the question why does truth matter because it, it as soon as you walk out the your, your house you find out immediately why truth matters um to even uh tell yourself or or, or think about what you want to do and how you how you go about doing it uh, it sort of matters that you take the sort of traditional ways of achieving the ends that we have um, as being true. Uh, for example, in order for me to uh, get here, to even arrive at where we are now, I need to take, for uh, consider true that I need to get here uh, or take the particular roads I need to get here. I need to, I need to uh, take the particular routes or uh, come up the particular stairs that I, I, I took to come up here. Um and in that, sense, in that sense, it's rather obvious why uh, truth matters. It's a very direct sense of, of why, why uh, truth matters. Um, but it, it seems troubling to sort of reduce the importance of truth to prudential or utility sort of uh, concerns. Because um, I think, it, as you were saying, Luke, there is much more at stake than the merely useful or the merely uh, prudential concerns about why truth matters. Um, it, it, I think as, as Frankfurt mentions it, it has something to do with who we are um, with fulfilling uh, some sort of notion of uh, who, who we are as human beings who we are as individuals um, so it, it seems to matter a great deal beyond the, uh, the mere uh, usefulness or prudential
1: uh, matters that, that tr- truth is able to do for us He does mention at the very end of his book, if I recall, you know, he pretty much avoids this question until the last four or five pages. And he says, well, you know, the doctor can be just primarily concerned all his life with just medical matters and the truth of medicine. And same with the architect and the engineer. But then he also says, you know, by recognizing that we can't control reality, that in a sense we can't just simply impose our will on the world around us, that we come to this understanding of who we are come to a notion of our identity we come to understand that there are things outside of us that we can't control and that our knowledge of can either be true or false and he doesn't really develop this that was my only thing I I wish he would have gone into he says well almost like just because you over and over again you're seeking the truth you appreciate the truth it's useful well then you somehow develop a appreciation for truth as such and uh, I read a few reviews They really attacked him on this point, especially from a postmodern perspective, because that seems to be the issue. Well, why can't we just care about, you know, what's important to us? Why do we need to be concerned with truth, you know, itself? I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that, Mike?
2: Yeah, so I... Um, specifically about that question, uh, m- my response is why should we care about things other than, why can't we just care about what's important to us? Well, you have to answer the question, what is important to you, what is important to you, or what should be important to you in the first place? Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, you're going to have to figure out what's true and what is false in regards to what should and should not matter. I mean, again, it might be nothing, but but you at least have to establish the truthfulness of that claim. So I guess that's one way I would kind of respond and then we could we could get into uh, I agree more Aristotelian and robust accounts of, of truth being useful for fulfilling human nature I mean that's a huge discussion I don't know that we have time to like get into um but yeah I think that's that's I mean a, a fair question but but again it's still a question. Uh, that that presupposes this notion of truth you're never going to get away from from the importance of true statements and believing true things uh, and yeah I don't I don't even I guess part of my question for Frankfurter as I was reading reading the book was um, it's not clear to me that truth is useful. I'm not sure that that's the case Um lots of people like alvin planning of famously has an argument against evolutionary psychology because he says it's self-refuting because the theory of evolution and maybe this is false but, but but the theory of evolution would suggest that only organisms that are good at reproducing themselves last and of course the vast majority of organisms in the history of planet earth don't don't have propositional knowledge um do they have a kind of knowledge? I don't know. That's an interesting question, but they certainly don't have, they don't believe or disbelieve in certain things. Beetles don't do that. Bacteria doesn't do that. They seem to get along just fine. And whatever you think the truth is, the vast majority of people in societies in human history have had all sorts of wildly false beliefs. Um, I mean, again, whatever belief system you pick, that's, going to be very different from the vast majority of belief systems that have been held on by by people in the history of of the human race so it's not clear to me also that that truth is useful even within a human context and so i don't know that that's i guess i mean i can under i, I guess i can understand some of the the critiques of the book as they're pressing him on this sort of question but i don't i don't know if that's what you were asking for
1: yeah, I think you're, you're raising, especially when you touch on, you know, religious claims, moral moral claims to truth. Um, he primarily wants to stick stay with what is much easier, so architectural truths, you know, how long does the bridge need to be, you know, to be secured? Right. Right. It's either right or it's wrong. It's either strong enough or it's not. But it gets more difficult <laughs> when we start talking about, you know, I mean, the ultimate purpose, if you will, I want to use that term of human life, the ultimate truth. Especially about the origins or the beginning of the universe, the the purpose, indeed, the truth of the human being itself. And this is why it is so important. Um, are we simply, merely this um, random, you know, end result of you know chemical processes without any purpose whatsoever? Or indeed, are we the outcome, as a lot of theists and especially Christians hold, that there is, in a sense, a certain purpose, even if it took millions and millions, billions of years? with a set nature that we're we're called to fulfill and act in accordance with or not. And so for Christians, it really matters. We come down and say, no, there is an ultimate truth about what we are. And therefore, that truth, you know, um, should dictate, you know, how we live our lives, not in a restricting way, but in a way that can set you free in a sense to fulfill your nature And this is the answer why we think truth is important, because, as I mentioned earlier, we believe that we are called to fulfill our nature, which means acting in accordance with reason. And indeed, if you you want to push it further, even recognizing that there is, in a sense, a source of the entire universe, which we call God, and that we owe, in a certain sense, worship and uh, allegiance to. Um, But the truth claims of different religions do matter, and we do need to take them seriously. And the Catholic Church, at least, holds it. No, it's very important that you study these particular truth claims about the human person, about the origins of the universe, you know, about the different religious founders. And so yeah, I think these Catholics are, are right on board with uh, with this whole question and its importance.
0: Yeah, I think w- a one, one classic uh, debate uh, within this sort of, Issues that we're bringing up here is um, truth. Get as, as you mentioned, Luke. Uh, if we narrow it to the sort of uh, what are the, I mean the facts of the world, um, and I think that's why sort of uh, Frankfurt sort of does uh, stick to facts. Like for engineering purposes and architectural purposes, is it's sort of easy to talk about truth and what is true in those sort of, sort of uh, instances. Like it would, in scientific inquiry, it's easy. To, it's sort of easy to talk about. Um, facts and truth in that sense but as we start discussing about um, issues like uh, human nature or how we ought to act, how we ought to be um, those are sort of normative concerns uh, of uh, find, find it difficult to, to agree on um, what's truth in those instances um, we don't, not everyone agrees with the sort of uh, Catholic or the Christian picture of human nature um, and the sort of uh, normative facts that, that are derived from, from those uh, first principles um, and then you have uh, principles that are adopted by uh, atheists or, or people that are not uh, don't take on the, the theist position of, of, of first principles um, and it seems like that's where we sort of get into uh, tricky waters when we're talking about truth of um how we ought to be and how we ought to uh, live our lives um, seems to be the, the greatest sort of concern um, when talking uh, talking about truth. Because it, it, it definitely matters in those instances. If whatever theory or whatever sort of conception we have about um, how humans ought to be or how they ought to act, um, whether they have uh, a... A nature of some kind that they have to live up to. Um, that's that seems to be what's up for debate. That seems to be the, the greatest sort of um, issue that everything else seems to rely on, or everything else sort of fa- seems to fall out of. For for example, um, whatever policies you uh, you adopt or you support uh, out of your politicians, will in a sense depend on what you think uh, is valuable to human life? Uh, what sort of values should uh, our policies uh, sort of emphasize? What should they try to um, prioritize in, uh, in their passing and their uh, uh, in what they try to bring about politically and, and in legal terms? Um, so, yeah, it, it, that, that issue seems to be... Um, where a lot of people find disagreement and talking about truth in those instances it seems to be where we really need to find some common agreement agreement on
1: yeah know i totally agree and i think i think a lot of the success of the modern world has been the success of science so after the reformation you know the middle e- the middle ages the emphasis on faith you know all the religious wars a lot of people so the story goes you know Science came along, and at least we can all agree on scientific knowledge because, well, it can be re- reproducible. You know, it doesn't matter <laughs> your view of, you know, the man's nature or, or ultimate destiny if you can reproduce the experiments, well, then it's true. And I think that has been tremendously, you know, beneficial to the world. Um, to come. On the other hand, I think there's this tendency to what is called scientism, which thinks mm-hmm. that. The only form of truth, or the only truth that's even possible, is the scientific form of truth. That is, it has to be, you know, reproducible. It has to be something you can quantify and measure and weigh. And if it's not, well, then it's not really true. The problem, at least as I see it, is that well, that really limits limits. I mean, the scope of well, not just. Science, but there's other types of science, and besides the natural sciences, but law, history, literature, the humanities, poetry. Is there not? Bad truth. <laughs> yeah, I think some might disagree, but yeah, you're right. I mean, are we going to limit truth to just scientific truth? And that's what it seems like where our culture is at. And and if it's if we're discussing or we're debating anything outside of those parameters, well, then it seems like it's just a shouting match. Or we're just going to punch you in the nose. You know we're not going to be able to have a constructive dialogue. And I don't know. I don't have any easy answers. I think it's a problem. Yeah.
0: I mean, there, there seems to be some uh, pragmatic uh, concern or justification for sort of suspending or narrowing uh, our um, the scope or the scope in that way, in, in the sense that agreement on um, whether there's uh, whether there's a God, whether there's a creator. Um, whether the human beings have this uh, innate uh, natural uh, sort of spirit or, or um, purpose is something that may, not, we may not be able to come to any sort of meaningful agreement on, but we can at least agree on uh, the things that fall out of uh, scientific inquiry, the uh, inquiry of the social sciences like economics and, and so on and so forth. Um, and so th- in that sense, it seems it, it, it's sort of pra- more of a pragmatic move. is like we're going to suspend uh, sort of our determination about um, about so God and everything. And, 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 and stop
1: and, fighting and killing each other. And, right, yeah. And get rich with technology and science, yeah.
0: Mike, did you?
2: Yeah, so... Um, yeah, first off, I'd, I'd like... I mean, to, 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 to build off what Dr. Murray said and then, then to get to what David says, um, I'm not actually at all... It's not clear to me that science has anything to do with truth. That's a contestable claim. Um, that depends on one's philosophy of science. What is science and what is it doing? So take Newton's laws of you know motion, right? Um, he you could read those sorts of laws as being totally. Um, a ontological or whatever, or or deontological. I mean, they have nothing. He makes no claims about the things themselves. He just says that they there are some <laughs> models and mathematical formulas for predicting how they're going to move. And so, first off, I just wanted to say it's not clear that science furnishes us with truth. It could. That's a legitimate position to take. It's called scientific realism. But many great philosophers of science have been scientific anti-realists that would say that science is not concerned with truth. It's concerned with like predicting predictions and models, and that may or may not have anything to do with reality. And in fact, just to put it more like forcefully, a claim like Napoleon is the emperor, was the emperor of France, is not a scientific claim, but it's something we should be far more certain of than lots of scientific claims. And so I think you are right that um, just simply looking to natural sciences for for truth claims is problematic, A, because there are all sorts of very true claims that are clearly not scientific and perhaps are more certain than any scientific fact um, in, in, say, theoretical physics. Um, And furthermore, it's not clear that these sciences are even operating with an eye towards truth in the sense that they're not, in other words, it, they might have it's true that they might have predictive value. It's not clear that they tell you anything about the things in the world. I mean, maybe that's not a problem, but I just wanted to make that kind of observation, which then I think leads to to this problem in the modern world because we all kind yeah, the, the, the kind of the ideas we put aside in liberal democracies, um, or or liberal enlightenment societies or whatever, we kind of shelved substantive discussions of the good and the true, and decided we were all gonna like let everyone sort that out on their own as individuals, um, and and uh, uh, you know, let governments were just concerned with procedural questions, and so if you look at someone like say Stephen Pinker in his book Enlightenment Now where he talks about, you know, the triumph of, of science, you know, you I think you get some of that sense. But the problem, and I'm, I agree with, I guess, Dr. Murray on this, is that it's hard to say that we're going to yes. shelve considerations of the good, what is good, and what is right, and just focus on you know, getting along with each other, because unfortunately that's a normative claim and it's not clear why we should care about any of that. I mean, Steven Pinker can make as many graphs as he wants about decreases in world poverty. Why is that a good thing? Why should we care about that? That's a contestable statement on his part. And when you refuse to answer questions about the substantive good, what it means to live a good life, what is the communal good? Why do we live in societies in the first place? Uh, he, he, you know, he and people who share that perspective, you know, if they're going to ignore those questions, don't, don't have an answer to them. That's, I think, so I don't know that it does work to, to shelve the bracket truth claims about the good and the right and, and just say we're all just going to kind of get along with each other in, in, in a liberal society.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the the common move has been to take those uh, those normative uh, concerns or those normative determinations, like we should all, we should work to get along with one another. I think in our in our sort of you know established democracies, established societies, all, all that's sort of taken as given. Um, to the extent that if you don't believe in that, well, then we have ways of dealing with people who don't believe in that and, and go out of their way to sort of go against that normative uh, determination. That's why we have prisons. Um, and in a sense, it, that may work for some of these pragmatic uh, sort of determinations and and, uh, and decisions that, that people tend to make. But I think it's right. At some point, it's going to break down a little bit. Uh, we do need to kind of find out, uh, well, why is it good that... Uh, we try should we strive to have universal health care? Why is it good that we strive to have uh, what's what's on what's in vogue right now at least is uh, universal basic income, which is being raised in, the, in uh, more or less in the re- recent debates um, or conversations um, And so we we have it's in it's in those sort of uh, new or novel considerations where we, it seems like it's important that we have uh, full conceptions or, or robust conversations about what the good is, because we don't know if something like universal health care is good or not. It depends. Is it actually going to work out? Does it actually achieve the things that it's, it's always going to achieve? Um, and just sort of moving along and ignoring those sort of important conversations is, I think recently come to the fore as something very problematic. Um, If you just move along with, I guess, the the powerful's uh, version or conception of the good um, and don't take into account uh, people on the margins and people in the, the, I guess, in the actual middle of, uh, in our case, in the United States, in the actual middle of the United States, if you don't take their considerations into concern, there's going to be an answer back. It seems like, um, and so yeah, I think I think it is in part prob- uh, the sort of pragmatic move um, is starting to be problematic, and ignoring the intricacies or the spe- uh, specifics or people's um, unique concerns about what's good and, and uh, what what's fulfilling in their lives uh, is. We need it. We need a new sort of approach, um, because I think in recent years it's shown that it's um, it's rather important that we take into consideration or we have these conversations uh, with one another, Um, and and that's sort of where we left off in our in our first talk. Right? Is um, what is important? Where where should we find the agreement on what? sort of things should we consider as truth? Uh, what should our scope should uh, look like when
1: making those sort of determinations? Yeah, that's a, <clears throat> a great question. Um, I think I would start by, well, what do we mean by good? You know, What is goodness? How does it relate to, to truth? This is where in traditional Christian Catholic, maybe dare I say, Aristotelian thought would we'll talk about transcendentals So it's how we encounter reality. The intellect encounters reality as true, the will as good, in a sense, um, and they're both one. And when they're encountered, incarnate, there's beauty. Um, But the good is which all desire, and what do all desire? Aristotle says, well, happiness. Okay, easy enough, (laughs) you know. But what is happiness? What is going to fulfill us? Because that's the reason why we do anything from, you know, playing the lottery to, you know, stealing to even committing suicide. We think it'll make us happy in some sense. But but for the ancients and medievals and even the Catholic Church today, that it was founded upon, well, first, you know, what is reality? What is real? Not just like our own self, but you know, that's... that's course important but just how do we know reality at all and maybe this is going to get us into too deep water so we don't have to go here but if we are going to have these debates in our culture we need to be able to develop ways of just asking these very simple questions Um, because i don't think it's true that we are in a sense boxed in that our that our freedom of will to do whatever we want is the, the supreme good which is kind of the de facto position in my view But that, no, we can, in a sense, know reality. And so traditional notion of truth was the mind's conformity or union with reality, with what is. And so the ideas weren't what we know. They were the means by which we knew reality. So Aquinas, a medieval Catholic theologian, talks about this light that we have, the the light of the agent intellect that's like turning on a, a switch in a dark room. It makes intelligible what is potentially intelligible. And so, of course, this is going to be cast suspicion on because, well, what if our senses, you know, deceive us? Descartes famously, says, well, the wax changes, it looks different, it melts. Well, hmm. well yeah, but that doesn't mean you you cast doubt on our ability to know reality. It just means you need to have more contact with reality. You should double check. The stick looks bent in the water. Well, put your hand and make sure. Is it really bent? So this underlying belief, I think, is really crucial that we, we can have... Knowledge of reality, and our knowledge is not simply you know, knowledge of our own ideas, but this is so prevalent. I believe that you know we're all seeing things through different colored glasses. You know it's a common metaphor that's used. So I'm seeing things blue. You're seeing things, you know, red, pink. You know, how can we compare if we have this is the problem since Kant, right? We have these categories somehow miraculously we all have the same ones. That We're imposing on reality, so it's coming from our mind and going out onto, rather than the ancient ways The reality is acting on us. It's coming to us. We're being united with it. And yes, we do need to make a judgment that when we receive, um, we see a particular thing, we, we abstract the universal from it, and we make a judgment that this is that. And we can be wrong in that judgment just because we can be wrong doesn't mean we should suddenly just throw off the whole pursuit. No, we need to have, you know, give evidence, have more contact with reality, uh, both in regards to, you know, what is a human being, you know? And that's why, you know, these debates are nothing new. I mean, the the sophists were already raising them in ancient Greece. And so Plato and Aristotle spent a lot of their time discussing these questions about, you know, what are we, what is reality, can we even know the truth and as Michael pointed out in the beginning of this podcast, you know it's self-refuting to say there is no truth. Um, and indeed, much like our politicians today, when the truth is just valued so lowly, well, it really is discouraging. Just like Aristotle saw that it would be discouraging to budding philosophers, and so I think it's important that we do affirm again and again. No, that's that's not true. That claim, you know, we need to fact check fact check that. Um, anyways. Going on and on, and I don't know if we want to go into the different um, yeah, epistemological I think, um, theories, but
0: I think we can. Um, I think one way to I guess keep this uh, sort of accessible. I mean, we can think of ways to to, to raise those questions, uh, perhaps for another for another time. But I thought one one way that we could. Uh, I mean, you, you brought up you know politicians and um, and. Michael brought up uh, another point earlier that maybe truth is not always actually very useful. Um, and so one question I, I wanted to raise is that uh, are there times where we shouldn't tell the truth or where the truth is... Uh, it, it's obvious to us. It's rather obvious what the truth is and we would know what the truth is, but uh, we shouldn't rely on it or we shouldn't uh, sort of... Um, make a decision based on, on uh, that alone. It seems like something being true is just one of the uh, other considerations that we might have in making a particular decision. Um, well, one, one perspective that we might take, and, and this is just to sort of introduce people ways of thinking about this, of, of answering this particular question, um, is so the Kantian deontological perspective is that telling a lie is one of the worst things you can do. Um, in part because, at least for Kant, one of the sort of essential aspects of of human nature was our autonomy. And it's an imperative, a moral imperative for Kant to always uh, value and respect that autonomy. Um, so anytime we tell a lie, anytime we break a promise, and um, int- intentionally and maybe, you know, you know, there are many reasons why we might, uh, break a promise. Um, but one of them is, would be that we made it with the intention of, of breaking it. Um, and for Kant, that's one of the the worst things that you could, you could, you could do to another human being is take advantage of their autonomy, uh, put them in a position where, uh, to make a decision thinking that one thing is going to be the case. And and in fact, you have every intention of not bringing that state, those state of affairs out. Um, so at least for the Kantian and, and uh, the ontologist, telling a lie is always, always wrong. And one of the famous cases that really brings this to light is the murderer at the door case. Um, and according to Kant, uh, and, and again, there there are other sort of interpretations of this case um, where people try to you know say that Kant had a very particular perspective when thinking about this case. Um, but it's used nonetheless in, in, in you know, traditional eth- uh, introduction to ethics. Um, but so a murderer comes to your door um, and asks you uh, or tries to get out of you uh, whether the person that they're pursuing uh, is being held in your house or if, uh, if you're hiding that person. And it seems like uh, any decent person would try to lie to the murderer. Um, it seems like there, there's some uh, important things to consider in, in that would draw one to, to make the decision to lie in that case but according to Kant uh, we should not we should not tell a lie we should tell the, the murderer the truth that yes uh, there's that the person is in the house and he sort of uh, you know, Kant has a number of, of uh, responses to this or a number, number of, sort of uh, explanations for this and one of them he, he talks about it. it seems very pragmatic in the sense that uh, if, you, if you tell a lie uh, and the murderer leaves the house and, uh, and unbeknownst to you the, the person that you are hiding leaves the house and the murderer ends up running into the murderer and it is in that case that uh, Kant argues that well, you would be uh, sort of would be found legally culpable for for that coming to coming to fruition um, in part because your actions of lying uh, led to that to that being the case. But that's just one perspective of how we might look at telling the truth, and that seems to be a lot of people's intuitions about. Uh, telling a lie or telling the truth is that we should always do it and we should never tell a lie. Um,
1: I'll take a first crack. This is, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Anne Frank case that you're describing here is very famous. And I think Thomas Aquinas even is also extremely similar, I think, to Kant. But I I think he would, if he was sitting here on a bar stool next to me, say, well, it doesn't mean you have to let them in. So in a sense if you have already decided to take them in knowing that you mean that you're putting your life in danger then if they come to you and say yeah, yeah but you're not coming in you're going to have to go through me so in a sense I think he would follow through well you know you knew what you were doing when you when you took this person in as a good deed uh, the other way I would approach it is well there's certain truths that not everyone has the right to know so I don't have right the right to know about all your medical records. You know, you have to sign these HIPAA forms when you go to the doctor, and not just everyone is privy to them, especially if they're going to be trying to use it to, you know, commit fraud, you know, or identity theft. You know, we don't just throw out our Social Security numbers if anyone asks, you know. Um, So it's not entirely clear, um, or at least I think it's more in terms of, like, hierarchy, but more teleological view. In that situation, you know, what What are the circumstances traditionally? So the three things, the act itself, the intention, the purpose, or the why, what, what are you doing? And then the circumstances. Well, So what do you intend? Well, you intend to save the life of an innocent human being. That's good. Uh, what is the act itself? Well, You're telling uh, the soldier to go look for them somewhere else, perhaps. And and maybe that's another way you can rephrase your response to that person where you're not, you know, like, (laughs) oh, those those crooks aren't here. What do you mean? You know, you don't actually say a lie, since you use word games to go around it. Um, And indeed, the circumstances play a crucial part there because you know that they're going to try to unjustly take the life of someone. With all that said, I still think Aquinas would probably say, well, you need to now defend them because you've done that, even if it means you're likely going to die.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, just a, just a, a quick, uh, maybe the Kantian deontologist in uh, fully knowing that people might play, uh, I guess, language games or uh, sort of uh, tricks with, with in order to get out of telling a lie, that telling a lie is not only... Uh, a verbal uh phenomenon it's also it could be um uh, a sort of physical thing or it's also a mental thing it's uh, you have the intention of deceiving like did you deceive the person um and that seems to be the, the sort of uh the primary um issue at stake is 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 deception and and it seems seems questionable as whether by um Telling them to go somewhere else, is uh, does that count as deception? Um, it might. It might count as deception because that, that was your intention, was to sort of uh,
1: move them away from what's actually true. Uh, no, that's a, it's a good point. And I think in traditional Catholic moral theology, we talk about, you know, normally the intention is, is the most formal or it's the most important in determining the moral quality or moral species of an act. Um, but, of course, there's some times, Aquinas says, where even if you intend to do something, but the action itself isn't what he says per se related to the end. It's only per accidents related to the end. And so he says the thief who commits adultery in order to steal her jewels in the middle of the night, well, he's not committing one act of theft. He's committing two immoral acts, two different moral acts. In this case, with Anne Frank, or you know, I think you can make the case that it in, is indeed per se related to the saving of an innocent human being. To say no, she's not here. So in a sense, it's not a lie. It's an act of self-defense, or it's an act of you know saving the innocent. But those those are tricky cases because then you know what's really going on. Usually, it involves you know, you know physical elements like your well, you're taking tissue out from a woman's uterus. Well, what is it? What's going on? Well, I'm just saving the mother's life. Well, okay. Other people would have a different interpretation. Um, So that's where I think it's tricky, but I think you could make the case that saying that they're not there is not an act of lying at all. It's an act of, you know, self-defense on behalf of an innocent person.
2: Um, Yeah, uh, I think... uh, it's worth examining and trying to think through why Kant thinks lying is wrong in every in all circumstances. Um, I mean, he seems to... It, it, for him, for the record, has nothing to do with consequences. Um, he he's he's an anti consequentialist. Right. Um, he believes a couple of things. First off, he thinks morality should be universal. That should be means that it must apply to everybody, and therefore, in order for any thing to be permissible it must be possible that all rational agents engage in it simultaneously and so that's why he thinks lying is wrong is because every if everyone lied say to get a loan nobody would lend money out anymore and therefore the the purpose it's not that the consequence is bad it's that it's self-defeating to do that but um, also the
0: constitutes well in those cases in those cases, in that's those just, cases right, yeah. Right. yeah that's just incidental though yeah. that yeah. doesn't
2: matter for his argument right. and and the question is well that's an interesting question why why is morality such that all people must be able to perform moral acts or cannot perform immoral acts simultaneously i think is a difficult question that comes from kant's very particular metaphysics and his and epistemology and his account of what human beings are or what we can't say they are um, so i don't know exactly um, what to say about lying i mean lying i think generally is bad and should be bad right Cont- i mean i care about consequences so so um it would be bad if everybody lied all the time. Now, the the problematic cases are like the murder at the door. Um, and my instinct is to say, of course, you can lie in those circumstances, but that gets a little dicier because, again, this is not Kant's argument, but but you know, using a similar thought experiment. Most political questions involve life and death issues in one way or another. Um, And if you're allowed to lie in circumstances of life and death issues, that would permit lying almost incessantly, uh, which doesn't seem functional to me. And so we're perhaps going to have to give an account of perhaps why – maybe it depends on the people knocking at your door. Are the authorities legitimate – um, and maybe that's why we have that kind of intuition in the case of Anne Frank, where you know in our society, let's say that you know again people are going to deny this, which is fine. So I I don't I can't you know let's say you live in a just society with a more or less just criminal justice system, and we won't use American society because I know that will be contested. But but let's let's imagine a society society in which the, this is the case. And someone has been wrongfully accused of murder and they're hiding in the attic and the legitimate authorities come with an arrest warrant and they're going to bring the person to trial and they're going to get a trial. Um, In that circumstance, you know, it's not clear to me that lying would be permissible, even if, again, even in a mostly just system, it could be the case that the person is wrongfully convicted, but it might be worse to undermine the system as a whole than it is to permit certain, um, mistakes within the system. I think that's a, I don't get, maybe not, but that, that's a difficult question. And perhaps in part why we get to say no to Nazis is because they're not a legitimate authority, uh, and we shouldn't think of them as a legitimate authority. So, and then that becomes a question perhaps, you know, of, uh, what makes for a legitimate authority, right? Because, again, again, in a democratic society, say, you know, they're almost, you know, not in principle, but certainly as, as a matter of practice, there are going to be people who disagree with you in a democratic society, and they're going to support policies um, that that might lead to lots of people dying. Um, and it's not clear to me that you're, you're licensed to lie if you think that it will convince these people to... To vote differently um, in order to get the policy outcome that you think is more beneficial. I'm not sure though. I don't know what you guys think.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that was the sort of uh, case I had in mind, uh, you know, playing devil uh, devil's advocate in, in favor of the, uh, on behalf of the politician, is that uh, if we happen to tell a, a lie or if we happen to sort of uh, miss, characterize the truth in some way or uh, tell a half-truth, in, um, it's all for the greater good. It's, it's, uh, we believe that the policy that we have in mind is going to um, do great things, is going to improve uh, a lot of people's lives, but we know that when people hear about X, they're going to really dislike X. So we're going to uh, insist that X is not part of it, that X is not part of the policy. Um, so we tell, we're telling a lie, but we're telling a lie in, in a, uh, so as to bring about, this, bring about this policy that's going to have these great consequences. Um, that seems to be what uh, a politician might be able to say. And I'm not sure if that mm. is a if that's something that should be uh, accepted uh, on behalf of every uh, uh, for the everyday person to accept when evaluating that politician. It's like, well, uh, you lied about that. Uh, I wasn't going to have to, I wasn't going to lose my doctor uh, when you passed the Affordable Care Act, but that's exactly what happened. Um, but also the ACA also saved or uh, did a great deal of good things for people. Um, so should that politician be excused for their half-truth or their partial lie uh, simply because uh, doing so, they got support for the policy and, the, and were
1: therefore able to pass, pass it. Now, this is deep waters. I mean, it goes back, I think, to the noble lie, <laughs> Plato, yeah. you know. And this is indeed the criticism of the book here is that, well, actually, you know, people prefer the, you know, a falsehood, you know, for whatever reason, makes them feel good about themselves or whatever. <laughs> Maybe they don't want to know the dirty deeds that their politician's going to have to do so that they can live, you know, comfor- comfortably. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, I still, because I'm a, I'm a virtue ethics person, so whenever I, I think it's, but it is harder with politics, but... You know what's whenever I think about the truth, it's like, well, what kind of person do I want to become? Yes, I don't think you need to always give the full truth, nor should you to everyone who asks. you are not spitting out our private information. And so I think politicians are just can be justified by not, in a sense, giving us the full truth if it's not really pertinent to the facts at hand, or if it's indeed a consequence or a side effect that maybe it's foreseen maybe it's not but in in general yeah i think lying is not good um but that's what makes politics well so it's difficult because there's all these contingent factors it's all these circumstances and hopefully you have trust in your politicians you elect them so that they can lead the entire community towards its flourishing um but, yeah, when they repeatedly, you know, lie, well, then that casts doubt on that it is for the common good, and hence the four classical, at least Catholic or Thomistic, uh, parts of a law is that it's from a legitimate authority, like we've been discussing, and that's a really, it's an important question. But it's a dictative reason. That is, it has a, a purpose. It's not just arbitrary. It's something we should be able to see the reason why this law is there. Uh, it's promulgated... That is, it's made known. It's not just secretly enforced here and there. So, But finally, and most importantly, it's for the common good. And that is really the the heart of law and the Catholic tradition, but it's also the most difficult. What do we mean by common good? It means that, well, each and every person is going to be, in a sense, raised up for the effects of this law. It can't be simply attacking one minority you know or one small group of people so that everyone else is no it has to be for everyone um, and that's that's hard um, for a number of reasons
2: yeah I mean in part th- I guess my thoughts on this is especially, in a democratic society, though I think this would probably apply to other societies as well, is if, if the practice, it can see, seem good in particular circumstances to lie to people, say a politician lies to to the, the, the people or their constituents or whatever in order to bring about policies or outcomes that they think is good. I think we're seeing the corrosive effects of that in our own system which brings us back to this something that frankfurter talks about in his book which is this notion of trust and how there's a kind of deep betrayal when people feel lied to because even if you think they are wrong about politics they don't and you're kind of treating them as as Kant would say a mere means to an end when you lie to them and nobody likes that Mm -hmm. And so, in other words, what happens when politicians in our system or any system repeatedly lie to people? Well, then, they don't trust those politicians anymore, and they don't trust the system, and now look what you've done. You've you have undermined the legitimacy of the system as a whole. And it's very difficult, I think, to make the argument that there are particular circumstances or policy outcomes that are worth destroying the entire process of just a government as a whole maybe there are some i would imagine those are very few because again it's the difference between winning a battle and winning a war and if you sacrifice if it's a pyrrhic victory right if you've sacrificed the long game the war in order to win the battle that doesn't do you much good right so when we think of a and in Politicians and when you—that's a lot of if, how you understand. I think populist movements on both the right and the left, in across the democratic world, in play, you know, in beyond America and Europe, in places like you're in the India, the Philippines, Brazil—is that people don't have confidence in the system itself, and so they are turning to people outside of the system. In order to fix the problem, and that again, if you care about the system, then lying is corrosive to it because once people figure out that they've been lied to, they're not going to trust it.
0: I think I think we know our uh, topic for the next podcast, uh, talking about legitimacy and uh, and its yeah. uh, and its role uh, in our in uh, I guess. Uh, legal decision making and and thinking about uh, our democracy but uh i want to get to final thoughts uh if if there's some things that you wanted to uh people to take away or listeners to take away from our conversation um what would it be dr luke
1: oh boy um <clears throat> on truth well I would as a indeed as a, a believer as a theist as a Christian or Catholic I would say that you know truth does matter it does have utility um, and I believe that's ultimately because we have a certain human nature even if it's evolved over millions of years that acting in accordance with that nature acting truthfully that is acting according to reason is for our own happiness and so you know, Yes, we can talk about these these really difficult situations with murderers at the door, but what type of person should we be? Why should we be truthful? Well, it's because it's going to make us happy. It's going to make us the type of people that are going to be virtuous, that are going to be trustworthy, that are going to be ultimately happy, and that's why we do anything at all. So I'd probably end with that.
2: Uh, I'd probably end with, with an emphasis on the idea that whatever you believe and whatever you do you're going to have to believe, I mean, I would submit that, you know, if you do something, you sh- you, you're you you going to do it because you think it's the right thing to do or you think it's the good thing to do. Now, we can talk about weakness of the will, but that, again, weakness of the will presupposes that you at least knew what the right thing to do was and you didn't do it. Um, and then, again, any for any belief that you have, that's going to have to be true. And any belief about action, you know, an action that you perform is going to be true or false whether or not it was right or wrong to perform that it's i think it's it's absolutely inescapable to care about truth and you have to know that what you believe is true and you have to know what what that what you do is right in order to do anything that's absolutely foundational to any human pursuit you know pre you know and that's prior to anything else that you would you could want to do and i i think it's it's too foundational and too precious a notion to give up
0: well with that thank you gentlemen for joining me here today um and to those listening i am your host david Tomez, and this was lawrence talks thank you